Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart. Since 2010, the most listened to radio show in the nonprofit sector dedicated to helping your charity succeed. It's no secret that combining online and offline techniques is the key to fundraising success, and practical nonprofit management advice is what you need. The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart is the perfect landing point to learn from top experts around the world who provide advice you can use. Ted Hart is without a doubt one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders. Also a successful author, his books range from successful online fundraising to expert nonprofit management. Guests on the Nonprofit Coach are leaders in their field who share their insider tips and trade secrets in a conversational style both the experienced and novice will benefit from. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, Ted and his guests help you and your organization move to greater levels of efficiency and fundraising success. This is a live call-in show. Add your voice by calling 347-324-3080. After the show, you can find all our podcasts at tedhart.com. Click on the radio links. Don't forget to dial 347-324-3080. Now, welcome the host of the Nonprofit Coach, Ted Hart. And welcome to this special holiday edition of the Nonprofit Coach. Of course, uh, Kay Sprinkle Grace is always our page two expert for our holiday show. So thank you for joining us today. Our topic will be asking is giving. Uh, but before that, as uh, all of our regulars know, we start with page one news. First up here on uh, page one news, we have Jen Bokoff, uh, who is the Director of Stakeholder Engagement at the Foundation Center. Uh, welcome uh, back to the Nonprofit Coach, Jen Bokoff. Thanks for having me, Ted. Always a pleasure. Jen, thank you for joining us here on this special holiday edition uh, of the Nonprofit Coach. Please bring us up to date on everything happening at the Foundation Center. Well, there's too much happening to squeeze into a five-minute spot, um, but I tried to go through and think about what my top five highlights for the year were. So I'll try to give you a top five. Um, and my first is the two years of work that I um, finally released research on tied to participatory grant making. Um, so participatory grant making is a practice where funders actually seed their decision-making power to the very communities that they're trying to serve. Um, and it really follows the human rights mantra of nothing about us without us. So we've been conducting research through GrantCraft for over two years now and finally published it in October and did an official launch um, at the Human Rights Funders Network Conference where we had 60 grant makers who are interested in the topic attend a half-day institute on the topic. So that has been the most exciting project. And for anyone listening who's at all curious, I am always more than happy to talk about it. Um, so that's exciting thing number one. And people can read the research, watch videos, and dig into other cool resources um, at grantcraft.org slash participatory grant making. 
Um, let's see. Second update. Um, we did so many data-focused research projects this year where I can't even list them all, um, but one of my favorites to read was on facilitating financial sustainability, which really looks at how local funds are directed um, around the world. And I think that this report, alongside some of our other um, global data reports, show just how much is happening outside of the United States and how important local resources and actors really are to shifting the way that we can think about solutions. Um, so I've been really excited to watch our global partnership team kind of run with an updated research agenda, and I'm excited to see more of what they do next year. Um, but in parallel, some of the stuff happening stateside is also really interesting. So actually just last week, our CF Insights team released a new report on community foundations that accept cryptocurrency gifts, um, which is just like really fascinating and a topic that I, I honestly hadn't really thought about until um, we were hearing it from so many community foundations who were asking questions about how does this work and should we think about doing it. So that's definitely a cool report to read. Um, and of course, you know, we've updated other data-driven projects that um, folks have probably known about for years, like our human rights funding research, um, where for the first time this year we released five-year trend analyses. Um, we updated our disaster philanthropy data. Um, for our democracy funding tracker, we um, broke down the funding according to some different issue areas, which is pretty illuminating, especially um, in the lead up to the midterm elections. It was, it was a really interesting dashboard that I was tuned into personally. Um, and youth giving, which is an example of participatory grant making where youth are actually the decision makers, we released this year some focused um, pages on issues that they're funding. So for example, immigration and mental health. Um, so those give a really cool look into how youth are really shaping some of the major issues of our time. Um, all right, next bullet point. I'm going through quickly, um, but I can stop at any point if you want. Um, our, on the no, other keep, side, keep going because yeah, yeah. we, we want to make sure that all of our listeners are able to uh, to uh, connect to uh, the major data points. And of course, this being our holiday show, uh, it's, in, it's an extremely important time of year. Um, so uh, please, if you've got uh, you know, one more important uh, update, please uh, let's make sure our listeners have that opportunity. Love it. All right, I will share the last one then. Um, and I'll also follow up with you, Ted, and send a bunch of URLs rather than reading them all out right now because um, I know you have and folks we'll watching you live those. on Facebook and things. Excellent. Um, so the last thing I wanted to highlight is just the amazing, amazing programs that happened at Foundation Center this year. We really pride ourselves on doing a ton of free programs in addition to some of our fee-based trainings that folks know about, like our um, – our proposal writing boot camp, for example, um, but we do a ton, a ton of free events. So, for example, we had here in New York a full day um, called The Future of Philanthropy, um, which featured 20 different guest speakers from all over the city um, talking about various aspects of philanthropy. There's a Boys and Men of Color Leadership Circle that's been happening in Atlanta for the second year. We started a new ebook collection, um, which is another example of the types of programs that we're doing. And I just checked in with our program team before this. 
um, we've we've done more than 400 um, trainings throughout the year, which is wild. And that's us in addition to our funding information network. And for those listeners who don't know what that is, um, the funding information network is a way to access all of our resources for free at a local library or community hub that partners with us. Um, and so on Foundation Center's website, you can go to the Find Us tab and uh, actually look up a partner near you. Um, and next year, the FIN um, Funding Information Network program will actually be rolling out some exciting new training opportunities as well. And you can read more about all of this, all of our programs, um, and all of our, our FIN partner locations on grantspace.org, which we actually updated this year um, to better respond to what our users are looking for. So I could go on, but I won't because you have so many other exciting guests. But um, it's been quite a year for Foundation Center. We love being a part of your show. Um, for people who want to hear more periodic updates, I've been doing a monthly post um, on Fill in Topic, which is the blog of Philanthropy News Digest, just with all the latest happenings every month. And you can, of course, follow us on Twitter at FDN Center. Well, Jen Bokoff, Director of Stakeholder Engagement, thank you for such an informative Foundation Center update here on The Nonprofit Coach, and please have a happy holiday. Thank you. You too. Take care, Ted. Terrific. Next up here on uh, The Nonprofit Coach, still on page one, uh, we have a very important uh, series of updates uh, from Jeff Stanger, who is the Education Resources Manager at CFRE International. Welcome back here to the Nonprofit Coach, uh, Jeff Stanger. Thank you. It's good to be back. And hey, just a quick follow-up on, on uh, what she just shared about the uh, Foundation Center trainings. Almost all of those are eligible for CFRE uh, continued ed credit. So if you need extra points, I love it check when we have out. the connection between our page one experts. That's wonderful. Love that connection Absolutely. between the Foundation Center and CFRE. Uh, what else do we have from CFRE here at year end? Sure. Well, really want to talk quickly about 2019. We're going to hit the ground running. You're going to see a lot of our folks out and about all over the country uh, sharing with your local AFP chapters and other organizations. And right off the bat, Heather Hill, our, our board chair, is going to be at AFP Miami and AFP Broward in uh, mid-January to talk to them about becoming a CFRE. I know that sounds like a really big sacrifice going to Miami uh, in the middle of January, but she's going to go out there and do that. Um, other deadlines, if you want to take the test, you know, that first. I'm just going to say, go Jeff, that is a sign of a true dedicated soul right there. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And if you're listening out there and you're in a warm weather place, I am always available to travel. So get a hold <laughs> right, of me on the exactly. website. Exactly. The uh, first test, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm ready for some warm weather. Uh, the first testing window is, of course, January uh, 15th through March 15th. The application deadline is January 15th. If you're a little uh, nervous, a little intimidated by the application process, January 8th we are going to do another webinar. We're going to walk you through the process. Just go to the website, the place to CFRE.org, and uh, right on the front page there's a place where you can sign up for that webinar, and we'll walk you through the whole process. And uh, last thing I want to share is that uh, a really cool new thing that we have, you know, we have close to 30 universities and colleges 
that are offering a variety of different courses that are uh, eligible for CFRE credit. The next wave of fundraisers, they're coming out of college and they are expecting to become CFRE. So remember that if you're hiring or whatever. But uh, keep in mind, if you want to check out those universities on our website, just go to Continue to Education tab, click on that, and you'll see um, all of the universities and colleges that are, that are out there offering great programs. Terrific. Terrific. Um, with the, uh, the uh, testing um, coming up, you also have your online uh, services for people to prepare for testing. Is that right? Absolutely. The practice exam is a 30-day subscription. You get unlimited uh, time to take the test. You can take quizzes within the, the six knowledge domains. And just new, uh, since the last time we talked, I think I shared it then, but we also offer digital flashcards. So if you're one of those people where flashcards help you to remember things, we now have digital flashcards part of that subscription to the practice exam. That's terrific. That's terrific. Jeff Stanger uh, is the Education Resources Manager at CFRE International. Thank you for uh, coming back here on the show, and please have a happy holiday. Thank you. You too. It is now time for page two. I'm going to go ahead and introduce Kay Sprinkle Grace, but uh, judging from the large number of people that are listening in uh, right now, and we know year after year the very large number of people who listen to the podcast of our holiday show, uh, Kay Sprinkle Grace uh, virtually needs no introduction. She, of course, is a domestic and international uh, organizational consultant providing workshops and consultation to local, regional, national, and international organizations in strategic development planning, uh, case and board uh, development, staff development, and other issues related to leadership of the fundraising process. But of course, she's here with us live today here on The Nonprofit Coach, and our topic today is what we give when we ask. Welcome back here to the special holiday show of The Nonprofit Coach, Kay Sprinkle Grace. Thank you so much, Ted. What a pleasure to be back and to talk about what we give when we ask. And as I thought about what I wanted to share with you, this topic came to me because it seems like every meeting I've been in in the last three weeks, Ted, is how will we ask for this? You know, how will we ask for this? And I thought, I wonder what is the gift in asking? So I had the most amazing experience last night. I was at a dinner party seated next to somebody I'd never met before. It was a lovely party, and the hostess had done a beautiful job kind of mixing people up. So he, of course, asked the inevitable question, what do you do? And I told him, and uh, he said, so uh, tell me more. Uh, and I said, well, I said, my company's called Transforming Philanthropy. He said, what does that mean? And I said, well, I said, because a lot of philanthropy is transactional, and what I believe is that it should be transformational. I said, in fact, I said, let me try an idea out on you. So I told him about this morning's uh, blog radio. And I said, so, if I say to you that when I ask, I'm really giving you something, does that ring true? He said, yes. He said, you're giving me an opportunity to make a difference and be more than I have been before. 
And I looked at him and I said, were you planted here? I mean, who are you? <laughs> and it was, but it was so succinct. And that really is, Ted, what we offer. We are offering people an opportunity to engage with us in a vision, shared values, an experience that's going to enhance their lives. And yet I think we get so hung up on the ask. And we, I mean, as I say, the last couple of weeks, it's been meeting after meeting about, you know, how are we going to close on this person? How are we going to do this? And what we really are dealing with is that these are people of goodwill who want to elevate their sense of community and of self, and we actually offer them that gift. We are saying we come from abundance, not scarcity. This isn't about the needs we have. This is the needs we're meeting. And please join with us that you can be part of making our community a stronger place and at the same time give yourself something to feel really good about. So that's kind of succinctly what I believe. And I think what happens to us is that people, you know, they expect us to ask and we get hung up on the ask and we are more concerned about the technique of the ask than we are about the substance of the conversation. All that we do is a conversation about the future. It's a conversation about how may I, as a professional in our field, provide you with the opportunities to become part of a stronger community. And how can I offer you? What, what can I offer you? And, of course, Ted, it comes down to something, you know, that you and I are often saying, two ears, one mouth. Please listen more than you talk. And if we just listen, we get strong messages from the people we have been talking to about what they really care about. I was... The other evening, I was uh, I went out to the theater matinee in the afternoon and early dinner with a friend. Came back and returned a call from a client of mine. It's a Sunday afternoon, who was meeting with a, a potential donor um, the next morning, and she said, "I just want to run some things by you." And I said, you know, after she kind of ran the scenario, and I said, "Remember, the most important thing to do is just to listen." Listen to what they are looking for. And she wrote back the next day, and it was a $50,000 gift and a promise of more. And she said, we listened. We listened to what they wanted. And that, I think, is the secret. It is hearing what the donor wants and then giving them that. It is it is the the secret, and you and I have been around long enough that that we you know we have you know long histories of proof of that case. But it it really shouldn't be such a mystery. Why do we constantly have to come back to reminding our listeners to the show, reminding our colleagues in the nonprofit sector that listening is such an important skill uh, to have? When, as you said, we get so focused on the trend 
transaction itself because year after year you and I have have spoken about you know a concept that that, that I often share on this show and that is that you know, we are blessed to be in a country, in a community of givers, of people who want to make a difference, of people who have empathy and can see and feel the needs of others. However, um, philanthropists, everyday Americans uh, have very busy lives, have children to raise, have careers uh, that need uh, attending to. And so the charitable organizations that they support in, in many ways um, are their way of ensuring that good works are happening. And the only way that we can get that right, the only way that we can really connect with those who want to give of themselves, want to give their money, um, and want us to do good works is to listen, to listen to what they say, but also, and this is where I think the professionalism comes in, and that, that professional listening is while they're speaking, trying to, uh, the professional needs to be listening to their heart, because part of what um, we need to do is to learn how to listen and translate that desire to do good into actual works of good. Exactly, and and I think that part of the problem is that there is so much pressure on professionals to bring in the money, and I hear from way too many people, particularly those in very large institutions that have immense fundraising goals, that they are not given time to build relationships, and Certainly, the heart of a really good relationship, whether it's with your kids or the people you love or with your donors, is listening to them. And the fact that we would take time to listen to someone is one of the greatest things that we can do. But the pressure is always, how much money did you get? What what did they give? Well, you know... I don't think we're quite there yet. I think that I need to learn a little bit more. I don't send you out to listen to people to learn more about them. I send <laughs> you out to raise money. And we have got to get over this bottom line pressure because when people don't respond to us, when we hear things like you know donor fatigue and that we're banging the tin cup, it's because we are being forced out of a conversation and into a transaction. And this is why we have these, these, I think, professionals with a high rate of turnover. You know, we were listening to the, the young people who are coming into the profession, uh, you know, from the universities that are connected now with CFRE. And the thing is that a lot of them aren't lasting. They're not staying because the pressure is such that they can't even get traction in terms of learning about people and making the, the law. I mean, fundraising isn't about money. It's about relationships. Relationships are based in the, the mutual respect, the listening, and understanding that maybe in a certain year I can't give to you. It doesn't mean I don't right. love your organization, that I don't love the impact. And, you know, one of the mistakes we make and one of the reasons we negate the whole concept of what I'm talking about today is that we drop people from our stewardship if they don't give for two or three years. Why do we do that? 
But right. aren't I, if I give you $20,000 in a campaign and then I don't give to you for two or three years, does that mean my $20,000 made no difference to you? Mm-hmm. And or, we were yesterday. Or should, I was, we be ask, or should we be asking ourselves, how are we not inspiring this person to give? What is well, it about true. our approach that um, yeah. is not connecting uh, with that philanthropist? Because clearly, um, at least at that time, the capacity was there. That's right. And, and maybe the capacity is not there, but we would find that out if we listened. I mean, one of my most incredible experiences that was very informative relative to uh, this that I'm talking about today was decades ago in a Stanford campaign as I was a volunteer and I called one of my prospects and he said, oh, you know, he said, I can't do anything this year. He said, I've got two kids at Stanford and he said, I've just started my own business. And he was, I think, like a $1,000 a year donor. And so Stanford said, well, we'll take him out of personal solicitation and just put him back, you know, kind of in the mail phone program. And I said, no, I said, I'd like to call him every year. And every year I'd call him and I'd say, how's it going? And, of course, you know, kids graduate, as you well know. And uh, his business took off. And in the next campaign, he endowed a professorship which at that time was $1.5 million. Now, I'm not sure that it was because I listened to him every year for five years, even though he wasn't giving, but I'd like to think it had something, you know, that it, it made a difference in his thinking because I was giving him an opportunity to share with me uh, the things that were happening in his life. I mean, we need to always remember that what people like to talk about most is fill in the blank, themselves. Themselves, exactly. And if I'm so why honestly... Why do we want to talk? But, but, but let's, you know, can we just focus on that? Why does giving someone the opportunity to speak about themselves have a direct connection to your ability to fulfill their philanthropic wishes? Because you find in the experiences and the thoughts they share with you, those are their values. Those are the things that they want to focus on. And when we are good listeners, then we can say, you know, a few minutes ago, Ted, you said something I'd love to get back to. You said that one of the things that gave you greatest pleasure over this last year was, and then you would mirror it back. And, you know, as I think of the ways that you've been helpful to us over the years, I can see the connection between that that you really care about and what you have helped us be able to care about. Can we talk more about what you might be willing to do this year? I mean, how hard is that? Right. Or what do you think about how we managed your philanthropy? Um, what you know to make sure that we're closing that loop, that we're letting uh, folks know that um, whatever they gave, however they gave, it was impactful. It was important. It mattered because everyone wants to matter, right? Right, and and I do think there's that that in it, but I think that that is not as you mentioned a few minutes ago about the heart connection, and 
I think that we have seen in various studies, I mean, you're familiar with the study that the Hewlett Foundation was doing to see what metrics people use, you know, to make their initial large gift decisions, and they dropped the study. This was about eight or nine years ago. They dropped the study because they found that it wasn't metrics <laughs> that led to that first huge decision. It was the heart. It was what does my heart care about, and that's the gift we give. We ignite the passion and the heart. We connect people with issues and ideas and values that resonate with them. And the way we identify that is by listening, by observing. And I find that in our haste to close on a gift or to ask for a gift, we often don't listen enough. And I think I'm always reminded of dear, dear friend of mine who came from an intellectually aggressive family. And he said, in our family, we didn't call it listening. We called it waiting. And I think too often we're just waiting for that other person to finish what they're saying. And then we come in with something that is not necessarily related because we've been sitting there thinking about what we're going to say next. And I think right. that if we are going to gift people in our ask, the gift, if you can you know, just even use the visual symbol of a gift, the gift is wrapped in the values and the transformational work that we do that ident is so closely identified with the donor. And that is the true gift. Then, and you're, actually, you're absolutely right, if we don't do our stewardship, then I think that we have completely negated the gift uh, if we don't do right. our stewardship. And right. or, or what we've shown is we, we, which, you know, I think it would be surprising for anyone uh, listening today, uh, but I do want to challenge our listeners today. That's often what you and I uh, are able to do on this holiday show is to challenge our listeners to think uh, about the philanthropy that they are a part of is, you know, are we inspiring people to give? Are we recognizing right. their giving? Are we giving people an opportunity to see and feel the philanthropy that they're a part of, even if, as we've said so many times, you know, we are the instruments of, a, of helping that philanthropy become real. And our donors, as much as we have budgets to meet and, and as you said, have goals to meet and campaigns to raise money for, what it's really about is what we do with that money and the connection that those philanthropists, those donors feel to that philanthropy. Yeah, and it's, it's, the, it's the function of being the dream broker. And if we don't listen for the dreams, how can we show them that we can be part of that dream? <coughs> so I... Uh, you know, as, as I thought about this topic and I thought, you know, this is just unending. This is something you can just really dive into and think, you know, what are the gifts along the way? Well, I mean, as you alluded to, I mean, one of the gifts is that there should be a gift that keeps on giving and that we inform them constantly about it. I mean, I am totally devoted to what I call, you know, the surprise email, the one that they're not expecting that says, just wanted to share some good news with you. Thanks to your scholarship funds, 
we have been able to offer six more scholarships this year to some really deserving people. I've attached the biography of one and just want to thank you for your extra gift. I mean, mm-hmm. wow, that's so much better than a newsletter. It's so much better than a, you know, a blanket emailing. And it's just we have to be thoughtful. Part of giving is the thoughtfulness that goes into the gift. So if That's right. asking is a form of giving, then the ask has to be very, very thoughtful. What we are finding here in this nerve center of the Silicon Valley is that we're seeing a lot of preemptive gifts. In other words, people who are brought along more probably in the technique some relationship building, but kind of following, you know, a process. And then all of a sudden a gift comes in, which wasn't what we had been planning to ask for. And the reason was that we never engaged in the conversation. We never really listened to what is this person seeking in terms of the gift that they need in order to fill to feel philanthropically fulfilled and there this i mean philanthropy i love going back to you know the not the super original uh, uh definition but the more updated one the love of humankind so right. people practice their philanthropy whether they're giving asking joining or serving because of their love of humankind, because otherwise, well, and of course I should say those who are very involved with animal welfare, uh, but the joy of animal welfare is the impact that it has on the humans who are able to love and engage with an animal of their choice. And so there is that piece there. In fact, Marin Humane um, has a whole new you know, marketing program that is, just making lives happy. So whether it's the human life or whether it's the animal life, I think it's a a brilliant marketing strategy. But the point is that we are so obsessed with the transaction of getting the gift that we forget that this is about the gift we give them and how do we connect it to what they want in life. What is the difference they want to make? You know, we've heard, oh, have we heard the word impact enough to make us just want to, <laughs> like, rip it out yeah. of the vocabulary? But, Ted, right. let's go back to the beginnings. We always said that the point of philanthropy, people want to make a difference. There's no difference between difference and impact. It's just that we had to give it a new, uh, a more powerful word. People want to make a difference. The gift to me in making a gift is making a difference. Mm-hmm. And that is what I think we need to really just embrace, you know, in this next week or so when the afterburners are on and we're trying to make our year-end goals and there's a lot of pressure on us and we're falling behind and we're not up to last year. You know what? It's all out there. It's all out there, and we need to focus more on the transformation than the transaction. And we Uh, need to learn that, you know, things may not work 
the way we want them to work because the ultimate working is with our donor, as we know. Kay, one of the uh, the aspects of uh, giving people the faith in philanthropy, uh, get you know, as you said, you brought up you know that overused word of impactful uh, philanthropy, which of course is in the eye of the beholder. Which but isn't I, even I a word. Yeah, with with uh, with your permission, and and we do not you know get into politics, but uh, in the last hour, uh, and I want to take a break, and when we come back, what I want to just talk to you about is this concept of trust, trust in your organization, trust that the money that that is being given, that the money that is being spent for philanthropic purposes is trustworthy. Um, that the programs are actually going to happen. And part of that is the reporting back and letting people know that, in fact, they did make a That's difference. Right. What I want to share with our, our listeners is that in the last hour, the New York Attorney General, Barbara <laughs> Underwood, has announced that the Trump Foundation will be dissolving um, <laughs> at, at, under agreement with the Attorney General. Yes. Uh, uh, I listened okay. to the report, the Washington Post uh, the David, whatever his name is, who's so brilliant with with WAPO, yeah, the whole story. It is a sad, sad. Uh, well, what man- I want to focus in, yeah, what I want to focus in on when we come back from the break is um, a a statement uh, in this uh, uh, from the Attorney General in New York that uh, she went on to say. I mean, it's I think it's it's newsworthy enough that. Uh, a foundation of the President of the United States is being uh, dissolved. But in the petition, it says that there was a that they detailed a shocking pattern of illegality involving mm-hmm. the Trump Foundation, including unlawful coordination and willful self-dealing. When yeah. we come back, I just the reason I'm bringing that up is in not not in the context of politics, but in the context of trust in the philanthropic space. The right, and I will share then donors with our and charities and plants my, as exactly. well. Yeah. We'll be right back after sure. this break. Does your organization have a compelling story to tell? Do you want to connect with your supporters, volunteers, and donors, but don't have the funds to launch expensive outreach campaigns? The YouTube nonprofit program can help. If I could give one piece of advice, it would be sign up for the YouTube nonprofit program. If I could give another piece of advice, it would just be to capture the story of your organization and use video to tell it because video is the most powerful medium by far. The nonprofit program helps you use YouTube as a powerful fundraising tool for your organization. One weekend, we managed to raise enough to feed 500,000 children at school for one day. The video also gained over half a million views and had thousands of comments. And tell stories that haven't been told. Because you guys, the YouTube community, started sharing these videos, there's been housing programs started and feeding programs started. Literally, homeless people that were sleeping outside slept inside last night because of you guys. Over 10,000 nonprofits are already using YouTube's premium tools for nonprofits. Your organization can too. Learn more and apply at www.youtube.com/nonprofits. 
Remember, our podcasts and archives are always available 24 hours a day at tedhart.com. Click on radio links. If you're listening live today, the phone lines are open. Call in and ask a question by dialing 347-324-3080. Now, back to The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart. And we're back here live with Kay Sprinkle Grace. Uh, Our topic today is what we give when we ask. And uh, we had uh, just picked up uh, this news uh, announcement of uh, the uh, New York Attorney General announcing that the Trump Foundation will be uh, dissolved. Um, but, but focusing for the purpose of this show on the comments about a pattern of illegality, um, including unlawful coordination and re- repeated and willful self-dealing. And not to get into the politics of this, Kay, but I think apropos to our topic today is the baseline um, uh, issue of trust and integrity in the philanthropic marketplace, no matter whether you're a charity, you're a donor, wherever you are in that space, the philanthropic um, community in this country exists for a reason, and that is to be in support of the of philanthropy. And in support of philanthropy, how does this news story today in the heart of the giving set season matter? It's going to have an impact. It always does. I mean, we you know, we know that anytime 60 Minutes or anybody takes on a nonprofit organization, it does cause a slide in giving. However, I think that the Trump Foundation, because it's a foundation, feels sufficiently isolated. I mean, this isn't, uh, you know, one of our great big nonprofit organizations. So I will – I just think it's going to bring probably – some greater scrutiny by government, um, you know, like the Attorney General in New York. You know, we might see the Attorneys General in other uh, states begin to look at some of these foundations. Um, I'm not so sure it's going to have an impact on giving. I think that what will have an impact on giving over last year will be the non-itemization uh, because of the changed tax laws, and we won't know whether that was in effect until um, January. But I want to speak to the word trust. The word trust is the word that we need to play, pay the most attention to. And I think it is one of the gifts that we give when we ask, because we are a society that particularly right now, wants to trust and we have seen that we can invest in the organizations we care about they deliver the things that we want to see in our communities i mean the reason that people give is because they cannot affect the change that we can affect on their behalf we are basically the ones that invest their money in the things they want to see happen in the community And I think I shared with our listeners last year, but I've come up with this acronym that I use when I'm talking about major donor motivation. And it spells the word TRUE, T-R-U-E, and it's trust, relevance to me and to my community, urgency, not the urgent need for money, but the urgent need for the programs or services, and experience. I mean, we know that most donors don't stop giving because of a bad experience. They stop giving because of no experience. 
So what kind of gift do we give if we don't offer them the experience of seeing the children that they help or visiting the facility that they have helped to build? And we sometimes get so concerned with that transaction again that we forget the experience. Now, to the extent that some people will believe that, well, if the Trump Foundation did this, then how can I trust other organizations? The fact that it's a foundation, I think, makes it less perilous, but it is not a good thing for our whole philanthropic sector. And we have to be prepared to answer those questions. We've got to be as smart with budgets as we are with our hearts. We've got to be able to show the numbers, to be able to show how responsible we are, and that gets, of course, into the stewardship issue all over. By way and, of and contrast, I think back, yeah, that, by way that, of the contrast, baseline, yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, and again, not to be political, but you may remember Bill Clinton's book on giving, how each of us can change the world. And this paragraph just popped. I was looking at it yesterday thinking about this show. So much of modern culture is characterized by stories of self-indulgence and self-destruction. So much of modern politics is focused not on honest differences of policy, but on personal attacks. So much of modern media is dominated by people who earn fortunes by demeaning others, defining them by their worst moments, exploring their agonies. Who's happier, the uniters or the dividers, the builders or the breakers, the givers or the takers? I think you know the answer. There's a whole world out there that needs you, down the street or across the ocean. Give. And I think that if we can keep... We need to be just a bit better than any other sector. And as you know, I cannot, I hope I live long enough to see the absolute, the breakdown of these sectors and the moment when philanthropy becomes a movement that is across all sectors, that it's across government and corporations. And as we see more and more local governments and corporations getting into the philanthropic spirit, then what we're seeing is the kind of movement that I think is going to be the way that we truly gift our communities with the programs, the services, the outreach that we are capable of and invite them in through the process of asking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, again, I think that, you know, the, the bedrock to everything that you just said um, is trust and integrity, and regardless of where that falls down. And I, and I think, you know, one of the reasons I, I want to bring this in, it, it's timely and it, it's news, I mean, it's very big news, um, that this would happen, is for all of our listeners to look inside themselves are you running a philanthropic operation with true integrity? Um, are you able to tell the story to your donors of the good work that you are doing? Because, in fact, you are uh, doing that work, that you are being uh, truthful in reporting and not inflating your story um, or telling donors what they want to hear um, or you know, saying what you have to say to get the money. Uh, because... Anytime we do that, anytime that that happens 
within the philanthropic sector. It tears down or weakens the fabric of, of the sector. And there are so many people whose lives depend on us getting it right. Oh, totally. And, you know, if we look at the homelessness numbers, just to isolate that one particular area of great need, I mean, New York homelessness up by 2.8%. Well, that's on a base that's pretty high already. Chicago's up. San Francisco's up. And this is all in the last two years. So in San Francisco, we're very fortunate to have a philanthropic leader in Mark Benioff, who not only spearheaded a, a, a proposition on our ballot, but is also like spot investing in some of the facilities that have become degraded through overuse. And he and his wife, Lynn, are funding these. And, but this is the opportunity, the gift that we offer, is that we give people these opportunities to truly make a difference in their communities, and when we can ignite kind of the passion and the heartfelt uh, feelings of people like the Benioffs and others who have stepped forward and said, look, you know, we've got to solve this problem, and let us help you solve it. We ultimately are problem solvers. That's what we do in our profession. We solve problems. And in fact, you know, I mean, when we're successful, most of us should go out of business, right? Because there would well, be no more that's homeless. That's the theory. That, that's that's right. The, Cancer the, would be cured. You know, I mean, it would all be that way. But we know that our communities need us. But that need for us cannot turn in to arrogance. And I think if we are reminded of the Adesis curve, Hitchcock Adesis, who was a professor at UCLA, where he plots, you know, how an organization goes from, you know, infancy to adult to go-go to adolescence to prime, and maturity is at the top of the curve. And you would think, oh, that's where I want to be. Uh-uh. Because maturity is complacency. And the next bump on the way down is aristocracy. And we've seen aristocracy with some of our larger national uh, organization, nonprofit organizations. So part of what our commitment this holiday season should be is, as you said, Ted, to be mindful. Be mindful of how we relate to people, what the messages are that we convey, and frankly, our humility is very important. And it's a tough balance because people invest in nonprofit organizations that are strong and successful, right? That's why our universities raise and hospitals raise more money than any other single, you know, kind of strand of nonprofit organizations. It's because they're strong, they're successful, people know that their money is going to be used well. But I have seen people turned off by large organizations that they felt were no longer grateful. And gratitude is part of humility. And if we can follow this thread that I tossed out for everybody today, that asking is giving, then the cycle is complete with gratitude. Mm -hmm. And gratitude is an enormously important aspect of what we do. My two top personal values 
are joy and gratitude. And gratitude is something that I don't see enough of uh, on the part of organizations. Instead, it's like, oh, God, I thought that I thought oh, I thought the gift was going to be much bigger. And really, why not be grateful for what you have instead of you know saying, well, it should have been bigger. What people give to us is, in fact, one of the things that helps them achieve certain life goals. And if we are not grateful for it, then I don't think we're ever going to get more from them. I think they're going to feel like, I gave what I could. Right. Of this message is, uh, you know, that, that we are helping people fulfill the dreams that they have for a better community, a better world, a better country, um, you, know, you know, better uh, conditions for those that they have empathy for, whatever it is that they're trying to fund. And, and I think that's a value proposition, right? It's not – obviously money matters, and, and obviously charitable organizations that are dependent on, on uh, charitable donations, um, you know, feel that pressure, and as you said, particularly this time of year. But it's, it's that value proposition of being able to give back to the donor what the donor needs to be fed uh, for uh, their soul to be complete. They've given Absolutely. the money. They've given their hopes. They've maybe you know given some of their planning and their ideas as well. But the value back is the job well done, and and the trust that's what's being said is truthful, that the information is complete, and that's where, as you said, you know what we give when we ask, when when we're asking, when we're giving people the opportunity uh, to make a difference. There's a trust there that when they invest in us, that that's actually going to happen. I, I agree. And when we breach that trust, and let's circle then back to the Trump Foundation, what will, how it will affect giving, if it does, is that it is a breach of trust, as you said. And if trust is the top of my, you know, acronymed word, uh, it is deliberate uh, because Trust is, as you know, I work a lot in public media, and what has carried public media into its incredible position in our country is the fact that people can trust it. And in a world where so little seems to be worthy of our trust, let us be that focus. And let us remember that every time we ask, we are giving. We are giving people opportunities to not only make their community a better place, but to know a dimension and have an experience that otherwise they would not have. And in that Uh moment, the gift is given. But if our gratitude is not profound, then they will not feel the gift. Well, I think I think what you said is is profound today. You always bring us back to you know the essential elements of philanthropy, and that's I think why this show has uh, you know become so popular. Is I think uh, each year we give our listeners the opportunity to reconnect, 
to reconnect what philanthropy needs because during the course of the year, it's so easy to uh, be focused on the dollars and the monies and, and this list of donors and this campaign and, and the, the metrics of your email outreach program and uh, you know understanding and being trained on uh, the legal aspects of a planned gift. And all those things are important because, again, they go back to are you trustworthy playing your role in that philanthropic equation? Because donors want to give to make a difference, call it impact or, or not. Right. Whatever. What, what right. they want is they want to make a difference. And, and as we've said on this show so many times, you know, in, in theory, in, in a perfect world, they would go do it themselves. They would go feed those children. They would plant those trees. They would dig those wells. Right. They, they would make sure that those – but they can't. They, they either don't have the wherewithal or um, they don't have the time, you know, because they have families and careers and other things. So they give of themselves, of their, their treasure, to empower organizations to make a difference. And that's this holiday season – I think is, has become the giving season um, because this is a time that we want to reflect on how we, can we make the world a better place. Well, right. the charities that are listening today have to understand that they have a sacred role in that process, and it starts with trust and integrity. And That's growing right. from trust and integrity, it's how you take that money to make a difference, and then closing that loop, which is you know where where you're, the topic that you chose for us today, what we give when we ask, is then closing that loop to say you've done good. Exactly. And this is how you've done good, and and you can trust us that if you choose to do good again, please do it with us. Yeah, very well said, and and I would just uh, close off my comments by a, a little quotation I often use when I'm teaching on stewardship from William Arthur Ward. Gratitude can transform common days into thanksgivings, turn routine jobs into joy, and change ordinary opportunities into blessings. And I think that's what we're all about, and I think Absolutely. that... We need well to be said. grateful not only for the gifts that we receive, but for the gifts that we give, which is an opportunity to strengthen our communities and literally swell the hearts of those who are able to give to us. I could not agree with you more, and thank you for that summary uh, here in the special holiday show for the Nonprofit Coach with Kay Sprinkle Grace. Um, Kay, uh, before we uh, take off and, and head on uh, the Nonprofit Coach holiday break uh, and, uh, and uh, wrap up this holiday show, uh, can you make sure that my listeners know how they can reach you? Yes, www.kgrace.org or Sprinkle, and that's E-L Sprinkle, ksprinklegrace at gmail.com. Kay, thank you again for bringing your, your wisdom, your insight, and helping everyone who is listening today and listens to this podcast focus once again on the essential good and need and our role in that philanthropic equation. Please have a very happy holiday. Thank you so much, Ted, and you too. You've been listening to the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show with Ted Hart. Tell all your friends to check out our production schedule and download our iPod and iPad-friendly podcast at tedhart.com. Thanks for listening to the Nonprofit Coach.